And happy Boxing Day. Yes, no time machine needed today. We want to be here in the moment. Yeah, yeah. This is our third annual Boxing Day podcast. Uh, Yeah, we're leaving the uh, time machine back in the garage because we want to be in the here and now, right? Yes, and I, you know, we're going to reminisce about it possibly. Yes. But yeah, it's been a great year and... I look forward to this episode so much every year, Mares. <laughs> Me too. It's, it's such a good time. It's a fun time to think about where we've been, where we're going, and as you said, also just be here in the now having some cheer for Boxing Day. Oh, I was having fun just today, just looking over what we'd done in the last year and kind of remembering it for myself. So, like, let's jump in, right? Uh, yes. So, like I said, this is our third annual um and last year, we were all talking about our our love of the Victorian era. Uh, yes. In 2022, it was really important to us. We really wanted to just plunk ourselves right in the middle of Victorian London. Yes. Well, we, you know, what had started that was originally going to be a Victorian summer became a Victorian fall. <laughs> we couldn't let them go. We and could we not be let back them go. For sure. Oh, because yes. they just kept us enthralled that much. They're the gift that keeps on giving those Victorians. I could stay there maybe a little bit longer, but we were getting antsy, yes. you know, like you do. We time. wanted to go of traveling mm-hmm. and move around through time a bit more instead of one era. So this last year, starting last January, we gave ourselves the challenge to um, visit the 60s in different uh, decades. Do you remember how we arrived upon the or 60s? Or different centuries, I guess I should say. How um, did we arrive on this? I don't recall. No, I think I knew we wanted to go back as many years as we could, but we were looking for some sort of framework. And we just, I know we were both really drawn to the swing in 1960s. Maybe that's and why. I think there that, was a then few. we said, well, why don't we just do the 60s from every era? Because yes, we knew there I, were going to be things yep. in the 1660s and it's coming 1060s. back. So, yeah. Um, so we got in the time machine, and I know that in January, the first place that we headed... Oh, I should say before that, it turns out of the 18 episodes we did last year, uh, exactly half of them were set in a 60s, and we wanted to give ourselves the freedom to look at other things we love. Mm-hmm. So ha- the other half were just podcaster's choice, right? Yes, that's right. Yep. So, But we could not wait We'd been waiting so long. We'd been waiting two years to get to the swing in 60s. Yes. And we just jumped in. Yes, we did. With that first episode where we really looked uh, at, and it was called uh, London Emerges Swinging. And it really was emerging out of that post-war, mm-hmm. a bruised and battered city. And a bunch of young adults who had not had a typical childhood uh, because of the war. And they were determined to have a youth culture. And that was so much fun. It was definitely somewhat of a revolution, Um, especially in that episode. To be fair, we did explore quite a bit of the end of the 40s and into the 50s, Mm -hmm. because really the war just didn't end. Right, right. At the official date of the war ending rations went on for a long time yes. and it just made the 60s in london all that much more colorful when so it finally colorful. did seem to end yes because whether they stayed whether the kids stayed in london or were you know sent off somewhere else a different part of britain or a different country even uh, they just had an atypical upbringing yes uh, and and one of rationing and everything else so mm-hmm. yeah and that segued right into yes, uh, it did. we wanted to do mary quant and vidal sassoon and what yes. we learned we were thinking about 
how they set style and were movers and shakers and, you know, all of the best scene makers. But what we really learned, I think both of us, is that it was far more than style. Mm-hmm. Like they were, they were liberating women. Yes. I mean, women had had corsetry and hair, hairstyles that kept them going to the salon mm-hmm. once a week and all the upkeep. And so the idea that you would be able to have a, you know, a wash and wear outfit and a wash and wear hairdo. Yes. Uh, Gave you freedom to maybe, hey, like get a job and the or freedom to show your legs yes, and your shoulders. Yes. And oh, yes. Imagine after having all of those like crusty hairsprays on oh. of the 50s, just the ability to wash your hair and shake it dry and feel the wind blow through it. Oh, it's amazing. Well, and I do want to take a moment before we move on in our recap to toast Mary Quant because she oh, did pass yes, away this year. Mary. We did not, we recorded the episode a few months before her passing. Yes, we did. And um, she just a wonderful, sweet woman who was just a brilliant creative mind. So she, cheers absolutely. to Mary Quant. We lost you in 2023. Cheers, Mary. She, um, Help to redefine roles and those rigid expectations, too, of women. So. And she pioneered putting your store name on a bag. Right. Who knew? I mean, she was an empire. Yes. She really was. Uh, from there, we went to the Detection Club and Agatha Christie. We looked at London as muse for writers and a very odd, secretive, ritualistic mm-hmm. society. And then we looked at um, Agatha's many interactions around the city and how she marked it and it marked her. In her legions of fans today. Absolutely. From there, uh, Jen, you followed up uh, your Oleg Gordievsky and Kim Philby episodes with <laughs> yet another spy and it yes. was none other than Guy Burgess. Oh, Guy Burgess. <laughs> he is a one of a kind. Um I don't want to say too much about him because he might end up coming up again later in this episode. Oh, that's right. Um, but yes, Guy Burgess. And I can't help it, Mares. I just, there's something about these spies. I'm drawn to them. We might end up revisiting one Ooh, next please. year as well. Can't wait. Just a little sneak peek into 2024. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, from Guy. We went to, now I had the opportunity this year, a lot of the episodes that we look at are things we know nothing about and just yeah. want to come in cold and learn from. Mm-hmm. Other times it's like things that I know a little bit about or have been to in the city or are somewhat familiar with, and I want to dig deeper. And that was, uh, the next one was the Dennis Severs episode. Oh. Um, we look at, we, we follow a young, mm-hmm. eccentric young man who comes to the city and sees it like no one else does. And he also leaves, he gifts the city really, mm-hmm. um, uh, a wonder of preservation that yes. we can visit. And it was my pleasure. I've been uh, to Dennis Evers' house, and I really wanted to know, like, what's behind all of this. And that was great fun. Yes, I came in cold on that episode, and I learned so much. Oh, and what a fascinating. It was such, and yeah. I'm glad that London can make room for people like Dennis. Absolutely. These eccentric people who will, who will be impacted and will leave their impact in the city, too. This episode after that was one that was a bit challenging for me. Uh, We traveled to the 1660s for Punch and Judy. Mm. And that was something I had to kind of reckon with my own feelings and expectations. And I'm like, I did not grow up in a culture with Punch and Judy. And Mm -hmm. it just seemed, when when you're not enculturated to it, you're like, 
ooh, where, why, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, it was fascinating to learn. Uh, and my approach was, he was an immigrant from Italy. And all immigrants are impacted by their new place. And they also impact that new place. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a pleasure to visit the him in the time machine in 1660. And then we went Speeding ahead to the 1960s with your notorious women. Yes, I realized that I focused on quite a few baddies, so to speak, this year. Mm. Um, but yes, the uh, oversexed Duchess Margaret of Argyll and Shirley Pitts, the notorious thief, who she was fascinating. I read a fabulous book about her, and I was, I'm not going to say that she was Robin Hood, but. Boy, she was in the middle of that craze circle and everything else going on in gangster London. But she did have a heart that made her likable. Yeah, they're complex. I mean, that's, yes. I think, what I took away from your episode was that on the surface, it's easy to toss off one-liners yes. like she's a relentless thief or she's an oversexed, whatever. Um, but you scratch the surface and you start to dig and we learn that everyone is complex. There's sides to us. There's, it's not... So uh, black it truly is complicated. Yes, it is. Uh, after that, we went to oh, we did a one-off uh, for King Charles's coronation. I wanted to take a horrible histories approach to coronations. Oh. I just wanted to bring all the drama I yes. could find from the centuries uh, and had a ball with. If you want drama, listeners, re-listen that episode <laughs> or listen to it for the first time because drama central it was. Oh my gosh, you give people a little power. Honestly, mm, talk about divas. <laughs> right. mm -mm. Well. At that point, Jen, it was time for us to welcome summer. We were just saying goodbye yes. to the school year, and we had to do our little yearbook episode, our London superlatives. It was our chance to do some very quick takes from London's cultural history. So we took um, categories that we might see uh, like in a, in a school, like who's the cutest couple or who's the uh, best dressed or who's the life of the party, who is the most unique person. Mm -hmm. And we awarded it and it got it, gave us a chance to maybe find some people that we maybe wouldn't dedicate a whole episode to, but just like, let's move around London a little bit yes. and, and visit some of these characters. Yes. <laughs> and then it was time for the second of my episodes about places I have been and that have that I just wanted to know more about. And that was our pride episode uh, for the London, the Bloomsbury bookstore called Gaze the Word. Yes. Um, we looked at the role, the very pivotal role that that store played in the city's queer life and history and met a few really interesting people along the way. Who have done some very important work. Absolutely. I mean, that was that was wild just to understand the, the whole um, queer history of the city and the ups and downs and the barricades and everything else. We lightened it up because it was midsummer. It was time for a summer break. And then you took us to the ultimate <laughs> summer rendezvous. Butlins. <laughs> oh, Maris, I thanks for indulging me with that. I had so much fun. I remember... First encountering Butlins years and years ago and finding it just intriguing. And 
I'm not going to lie. It's still a dream of mine that uh, we'll go to Butlins together someday. Right. I mean, we 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 won't have kids with us. Uh, oh, so, so that we won't be interrupted. Door to door. <laughs> come get your kids while we party in the Butlins party halls. But uh, had some fun wearing some flowered shirts and making some tropical cocktails. That was such a summer party. I was thinking about re- resort culture around the world. You know, mm-hmm. like if you're going to Capri or something. But Butlins is an, a uniquely... British resort yes, culture. <laughs> absolutely. Loved it. And then we kept that road trip going because we had to get in this time machine. Yes, we did. We did a pilgrimage uh, to the 1360s. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were miracles. There were indulgences. There were relics. We were going to Walsingham on a medieval pilgrimage. And with... you made us a lovely cocktail to take oh, on our journey. That, the the field and Fen and Field or yeah, Field and Fen? Fen, it was. It yes. was delicious, <laughs> listeners. Next if you need a great room. drink, go look at the bit. It's She's yeah. got the recipe in the show notes Definitely. for that episode. It was so good. <laughs> uh, and that was another one that was just so much fun. Um, so that was the 1360s, and that was pretty far back. But the episode after that was the furthest back we went yes. this time. I mean, we know that London, you know, has prehistoric, uh, I mean, stories to tell. Sure. But we went back to the 1060s. And, of course, 1066, a pivotal date in British history. Yes. We looked at the Bayou Tapestry, the Bayou Tapestry. Sorry, I should have learned that by now. Um and we thought of it as an embroidery graphic novel, making a very complex military and political event into something that maybe the common folk might be able to uh, think about. And Graphic gra- being the key word at times. <laughs> oh, how many, do you remember how many penises there are? <laughs> it was a lot. It, it I, was over 90. I, know. I, I was going to say 96. it was 90 something. <laughs> I had a really good time with that on that episode on TikTok for sure. <laughs> That was the Norman Conquest, I should say, Battle of Hastings uh, depicted there. And then we zoomed forward 600 years. Why did we do it? Why did we visit the 1660s, Jen? Oh, it was, I had the hardest time with that episode because it was the year of the beast. There's pestilence, there's plague, there's fire. War. War. Multiple wars, plural. (laughs) I honestly... It's just, it was mind-blowing. It was so overwhelming to even read about it this far in the future. Yeah, we, we kept the, the um, engine idling yes. while we were there, right? We wanted to oh. get out of there. As oh, I kept thinking. Reporting. And we, you and I have both read books where time machines accidentally end up in that time period. Yes. And I, oh, what a horror. I, I would just probably pass out if I opened up the time machine door and really was in 1066. Yeah. Uh. Coming toward the end of the year, we did back-to-back pop culture episodes. I took the lead on one. You took the lead on the other. And uh, it was October, and I was so excited to do uh, an episode about Rocky Horror. You did one on Doctor Who. And we looked at the phenomenon of these very iconic pieces. And uh, also the fandom that was shaped and shaped (laughs) the reality Mm -hmm. of both of those pieces of art (laughs) those were so much fun to do yeah um now year one one of the episodes i'll never forget is the one about fashion during world war ii yes and here is vogue in spite of it all yes we met some some characters i i simply will never forget for the rest of my life audrey withers lee miller yes yes and 
we had to revisit Lee. We did. Lee was, we had been saying she needs a whole episode and really Audrey could as as well. But we went back and looked at, at Lee Miller and I called that one an incomparable life. And it really is. There's nothing really to compare her to. No, she really does. She's peerless. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I can't think of, I mean, everything from war correspondent, model, artist, gourmet chef. I, I She's just an amazing woman who I don't think has gotten the credit she deserves. Mm-hmm. Our most recent episode was a Christmas episode, the Tudor Christmas. We got in the time machine for a final time mm-hmm. to head to the 1560s. And I knew there would be roasted meat. I knew there would mm-hmm. be pageantry and revelry. But um, I was surprised at how, first of all, how much it ignited my senses. I just in researching it, just lived it. I could smell it. I could Mm -hmm. see it. I could hear it. I could feel it. Um, And so that came across. The other thing that came across is um, the upended societal roles that were played with for 12 days, where people who didn't have many opportunities to kind of run the show Mm -hmm. were were put in positions where they could all have fun and Mm -hmm. um, mock some some of uh, society's expectations. So that was great fun. So those are, that brings us up to our current episode that shows you the 18 and kind of an overview. And now we want to draw out some of some of the people we met along the way. It's our annual award ceremony here to. at YLT. Da, 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 da. All right. It's not the Oscars, but you know, it's, it's what we've got. <laughs> it's the Yilts, the YLTs. <laughs> there we go. So who's going to go first? Who's going to tell a category? Oh, give and... us, get us started, Mares. Happy to. So the first uh, award that I have is, I called it the Ahead of Your Time Award. Oh, my goodness. You know who it's got to go to. There were so many people. We met a lot of people that were ahead of their time. Yes. It I, it goes to Raymond Besson, better known oh. as Mr. Teasy Weezy. Of course it does. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I kind of fell in love with Mr. Teasy Weezy. Not going to lie. Love him. He would. Well, I mean, we would want to be best friends with yes. him. And he would tell us to get lost. Oh, yeah. He, <laughs> he would, would shoo no us away like flies. <laughs> He's from the Mary Quantin uh, Vidal Sassoon episode, and he mentored Vidal Sassoon. Uh, he uh, suggested that that Cockney boy get elocution lessons. And I love that we really don't know too much about his backstory, but he was larger than life. Oh. If you went into his Mayfair salon, you would see like chandeliers and champagne fountains. He was an early, really celebrity stylist. He was on early days of television. Um, but he got his name, Mr. Teasy Weezy, from his bouffants. He would just tease him up and he would say, as he did it, a little Teasy Weezy here and a Teasy Weezy there. <laughs> he would wear a red cape, uh, like pink suit, nail polish, this pencil mustache, you know, and you couldn't say Raymond. He had to be Raymond. So, uh, but his cuts is, is, why I really name him uh, ahead of your time, because he would do these geometric cuts with two-tone coloring. And I'm not talking like ash blonde to, you know, deeper blonde, but it would be like, um, you know, like seafoam green to teal in the back mm-hmm. or or like ballet pink to deep magenta in the back. And if you go to any of our show notes, please go to the show notes of Mary Quant and Vidal Sassoon because I have all these video clips of his hairstyles and they are so extra. Uh, so he would be right at 
place right now. His salon, could you imagine with these oh. two-tone haircuts and the blunt styles? He was absolutely ahead of his time. And his name is Mr. Teasy Weezy. Mr. Teasy Weezy. I mean, come, come on. on. <laughs> if I ever get another dog. Not that, that our pod dog Boo is going anywhere, but Mr. Yeah, I might have to call him Teasy Weezy. I love it. I think uh, it's perfect. Do you have one for us? Well, I, I kind of had to build on yours. I, I knew that you had an Ahead of Your Time Award. Mm. So I did the Wibbly Wobbly Ahead of Your Timey Wimey Award. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, with a title like that, it's going to someone from our celebrating a British cultural phenomenon, Doctor Who turns 60. And it's actually not just one, it's a team. It goes to Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, and Waris Hussein, who pioneered, really. Uh, they were the main nucleus that got the show yeah, off the ground. Like a trifecta. It almost like a three, you know, a three-legged stool. Like very they, they much. couldn't have been the same without oh. No, and they were a very unlikely trio at the time. Verity was extremely young. She was one of the youngest, if not the very youngest, producer at the BBC, and she was the only female drama producer as well. Right. Uh Sidney Newman had worked with her on the Avengers and brought her into the fold. He himself was a bit of an outsider. He he was a Canadian coming in, um, which for the legacy of this very British show, that's rather ironic. And Waris Hussein, the first producer, uh, who was also very young, gay man of Indian descent. So unusual. And I think that's what's a given that show, the diversity and the iconic nature that it has, their willingness to change and and adjust as the unexpected happened i don't think that we'd be talking about it had it been anybody else so <laughs> they were de- definitely ahead of oh their wibbly wobbly timey wimey they deserve all the awards that's great i'm so glad you're you awarded them yeah what's next mares what do you have for me i have a category that i call the i'll have what she's having mm. award Okay. <laughs> and this is from someone we met in our medieval pilgrimage episode. Her name was Lady Richelda de Faverches. She was a Saxon uh, lady of the manor, I would say, in Walsingham. Devoutly religious. And she had visions like all the time. And they were very specific visions, if you'll remember. She would have visions of conversations with Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's um, right. And Mary told her that she wanted her to build a place of devotion. And Mary not only told her that, but Mary actually took her somehow to Nazareth. They were, must have gotten a hold of our time machine. Um, uh, but she gave her the specifics. She said, Lady Rochelle, I want you to build a house just like mine in Nazareth. But the house was wooden. They would. Uh, it had turrets <laughs> and towers. So, um, you know, this woman, she saw angels flying around. Was she a mystic? Was she eccentric? Was she someone just with a great imagination? An um, incredible amount of faith. Yes. And whichever it was, you know, she made it happen. Like, she didn't just sit around having visions. She built something that eventually became a shrine and then a huge center, a priory. It was visited by seven British kings between the 1200s and 1500s. Um, It closed, of course, when Roman Catholicism came to its end, uh, but it was revived in the 20th century. So call her what you will, you know, 
but how many non-royals from a millennium ago have a Wikipedia page mm-hmm. today with their name? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's, re- she's remembered in history. So, you know what? I wouldn't mind having a few visions. I'll have what she's having. What a risk taker. Totally. She knows there's just no one like her. No. There's really no one like the next person I'm going to talk about. And I promised I was going to come back to this person. But first, their award is the Paradoxical Existence Award. And it is indeed going to Guy Burgess. (laughs) Guy is going to get an award. (laughs) This guy, no pun intended, he... Paradox is the word for him. He was ultimately British, yet he dies in Moscow. He was extremely materialistic, and he loved to be pampered. He was upper middle class and relished it, yet saw himself as a communist. He was, by all accounts, strikingly good-looking, while also having the most repulsive hygiene habits. I mean, every account I read of him, who people who knew him personally had comments about his breath, his natural smells, his refusal to take care of his his body. Um, He was so full of paradoxes. He was a spy who told everybody he was a spy. He was the worst secret keeper. I think he about gave Kim Philby multiple heart attacks as they were collaborating together through the Cambridge spy ring. Um, He's a paradox. He's an oxymoron. He's contradictory. For better or worse, there's no one like him. He's Guy Burgess. The Paradoxical Existence Award winner of 2023 at YLT. Okay, I'll give him that award. That's <laughs> now that you explain it. That's good. <laughs> uh, well, my next award is called the Community Unity Award, and this is one that I just had to split. Okay, um, so I, I'm going to split it between the Detection Club and the Rocky Horror fans. Okay, uh, because communities often uh, emerge out of similar interests, and that's true of both of them. And do you think of today, you know, book clubs or workout mm-hmm. clubs or fandoms, too. Uh, but sometimes, too, not only can we find a mutual appreciation for something, we can take it further. We can take our, our common appreciation to create something new. Mm-hmm. The Detection Club, it was founded by the uh, in the golden age of mystery fiction in the 1930s. It provided support to new writers in the field, but it also really kind of set the rules of an entire genre and um, also had a lot of fun with some crazy rituals. But now that I think about it, those rituals didn't have anything on the fans of Rocky Horror. The fans of Rocky Horror took a very so-so middling movie and created something completely new, catapulting it to an interactive cult phenomenon uh, that's still going on, you know, I went this year. Uh, And they were also cosplay pioneers, one of the first uh, fandoms to have that cosplay aspect. So um, the other thing about Rocky Horror, I would say, is that so many people that found community there were very othered in every mm-hmm. other aspect of their life. They found identity and camaraderie on Saturday night. And so social connection, mentorship, validation, a chance to create. Kudos to all the thriving communities and to our winners. 
Yes. And I took a bit of a page out of your book when I saw that you were going to be issuing a community unity award. And I'm going to issue the sometimes dysfunctional, but ultimately wonderfully inclusive and caring community award. And I have to give it to the Doctor Who fandom. I have to. Ah. And the reason it's such a complicated name is because, you know, you're looking at 60 years of a show. Mm. It's spanning multiple, multiple generations. And within the fandom, it's always joked about that, you know, whenever there's nobody's ever as popular as the last doctor was when the new one comes in and then people grumble. And when a showrunner changes, there's grumbling and this and that. And lately there's been quite a bit of a divide as the show has taken some different turns that not everyone has been on board with. I think it's going into these wonderfully beautiful places. It's the diversity, although it's had always been a relatively open-minded, diverse show. It recognizes where it can do better, um, addressing everything from race issues to ableism. Um, it's uh, There's so many queer icons within the show. But the fandom, similar to what you said about Rocky Horror, it also embraces that otherness. And I, the only reason I still even have a Twitter account is because of the Doctor Who fandom. <laughs> a lot of the Doctor Who fans gather there and on Tumblr. And I would miss some of the, quote, friends, their virtual friends, but the friends that I, I talk to about the episodes. As soon as there's new ones, you get on there to see. And the community itself, they they communicate with the fans, the actual actors and yeah. uh, showrunners and people involved with the show. And there's that heart. And so for the picture in the show notes, I actually included a picture of myself cosplaying the 13th Doctor because not because I'm attempting to be vain, but I didn't have permission from anybody else that was cosplaying. So <laughs> there you go. I used that one. But um, especially during the pandemic, it just kind of, along with our little book club, it's it's what got me through was that Doctor Who community. So it might be dysfunctional, but it's ours <laughs> and it's fabulous. So... Hey. Now, this has been great. Yeah. But halfway. I'm thinking it's about time for a break. Yeah. Um, let's go make a cocktail. I might have a few other little treats for us, and then we'll come back and finish issuing these awards. We've got some more awards and other things ahead. Yeah. So definitely don't want to miss the second half. We've got some other recommendations that you just won't want to miss. Hey, Mares. Yeah? What do you call a reindeer who can't see? A reindeer who cannot see. Nope, you got me. What? No idea. I have no uh, idea. No idea. No idea. Yes. <laughs> oh, Christmas you crackers. Christmas cracker jokes. <laughs> got a new gold crown and I got a little squishy dinosaur. Mares, what did I mean? The break was just the, you know, the gift that keeps giving. I also it's a have a golden good crown. So we are yes. co rulers now. Yes, we are. <laughs> and what was in your cracker? 
I had a measuring tape. Yay. Nice. Everything's going to be measured around here now. Sweet. Sweet. <laughs> and my joke was, what do you call an old snowman? I don't know. What do you call an old snowman? Water. Oh, my. <laughs> the crackers are getting a bit dark these Good. days. <laughs> South fast. <laughs> wow. Yes, it I was. Love a good Christmas cracker. Yes, we've got a little bit of smuggled English aperitif <gasps> from the London trip this summer. Tell them about this. It is, I mean, yes. I, I often say, oh, that's delicious. This really, really is worth, yes. worth looking into. It was, we enjoyed it during the 1666 episode and we're enjoying it tonight. It's, I think it's pronounced acre. I looked at it, it's spelled A K E R. It's English aperitif. So here, DJK was kind enough to bring the bottle up. If I can read it, our studio's not the brightest. But uh, yes, it has notes of herbs and fruits grown in the English countryside. Mm -hmm. So this is the English rose one, and it is. It's warming. It's. Tasty, if I say so myself. I mean, and sometimes you read that on a label, and you're like, "Yeah, I guess I can kind of taste." But this one, you like each of those notes comes through. Yeah. Like the finish is this berry finish. It's yeah, just really good. But it's not cloyingly sweet. Exactly. At all. Yeah, it's got yeah, that it's not little like bit of liqueur. Mm -hmm. It's an aperitif. Yeah. 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 So. Thank I'm you. having no Bring problem. Thanks for smuggling that in. Well, and while we're at it, you had made us a delightful cocktail the oh, first half. Right. We really are kind of going botanical this time. We aren't are. We? So I did a botanical gin and then I made, because I had a, a little sprig of rosemary. So I made a simple syrup and let that rosemary just kind of hang in there for much of the afternoon. You have become such a mixologist. Please, a little bit of pear juice, a little bit of lemon juice. And it was just a lovely, uh, yeah, a little something different. Oh, and we will, of course, have the real Always. amounts and everything in our show notes. Yes. And uh, yeah, take a look at that because we do almost always post our cocktail in the yeah, show notes if yeah, we if we have one. picture of this bottle that, um, yes. that you have here. So yeah, that's great. Definitely. That was... Uh, where did we leave off, my Let's friend? Let's see. I think we had just talked about some delightful communities. You gave the yes. Community Unity Award to the Detection Club in Rocky Horror. And I gave the sometimes dysfunctional, but ultimately wonderfully inclusive and caring community award to the Doctor Who fandom. I mean, those were... Fairly recent episodes, but I really had fun in the first half just thinking back to some of these people, Guy Burgess and, yes. and uh, Lady Richeldis. And yeah, it's, it's fun to reminisce this time of year. It is. I have to be honest, when we sat down to do this, I really thought I had done Guy Burgess last year. Oh, and then I looked at, nope, it actually was this year. It just seemed so long ago. Yeah. Um, but no, I wasn't fudging it. He indeed was this year. So... Uh, yeah. So how about do you, let's get started. We, yeah. we, we have a few more awards Happy to give to and then some recommendations to make as we wrap up this year. So uh, what do you have for me, Mares? Love it. My next award is called the Create Your Own Paradise Award. Hmm. Uh, oh, I think I know who this needs to <laughs> yeah, go to. It, I mean, I would be in this person's paradise any day of the week. Um, and and I referred to him earlier. It's Dennis Severs. I wanted mm -hmm. to say a little bit more about him because I said he was an eccentric guy, but he was a troubled and troublesome kid growing up in Southern California. Maybe that's why I relate to him. <laughs> um, and he just, from childhood, he was special. He was always like 
moved out of the class. And then it, it finally he ended up in a classroom of his own, of one person, because teachers just couldn't handle him. And he couldn't handle other people. He couldn't understand how other kids couldn't see what he saw. He's like, this eucalyptus branch, it's clearly Charles de Gaulle. <laughs> <You know? laughs> kid, like all kinds of elaborate, you know, things he would invent. But five days after high school graduation, for him, it was 1967. Oh, he just lit out five days later, straight into swinging London. Wow. But he, well, he got around London for sure, but he was not the swinger type. Mm -hmm. No, he bought a Victorian Landau carriage. And, That's uh, right. <laughs> and he would give these tours of the city. So you would go clip-clopping in his carriage and he would give it in real time as if you were in Victorian England with him. So he was saying like, here's what I see. Don't you see it? And mm -hmm. sure enough, you know, and so it became very very popular um and so the, the it's was interesting to me that those very skills that had made him an outcast now had him learn earning a living in a one-of-a-kind way you know just I, and london I, is so fabulous for that of course you'll find your way right they'll yes. make they can squeeze you in yeah there's room right absolutely and his um magnum opus if you will is his spitalfields home and i really enjoyed learning about the Huguenot weavers. Um, but he, I guess you could say he renovated it, but he was not interested in like, you know, here's the wood or here's the, he's like, I want to bring back the soul of mm -hmm. this home. So he just spent a lot of time being around it and kind of trying to listen and find things. And, um, and so you can, I would say tour it. You don't really tour it. You go in and experience it yourself mm -hmm. in Spitalfields, Dennis Sever's house, still there today. And I'm really excited because in 2024, that very house will uh, be 300 years old. Wow. So maybe if I'm in the city again this year, I will go over there. And so should you. How about your next award? Well, once again, I'm sort of piggybacking on you. Uh, you did the Create Your Own Paradise Award. I did the Create a Slice of Paradise for Others mm. Award, and it's going to Sir William Haygate Edmund Colbert Butlin. <laughs> Billy Butlin. <laughs> you had me going. I'm like, who is this person? What that's, episode? That's his official name. And oh, yes. Paradise for Others. Yes. It was Billy Butlin was an entrepreneur. He had a little bit of that side to him that's, you know, a glad glad handing, you know, it's you have to be operating a oh, chain like Butlins, yes. especially at its peak. I mean, it was how many I can't even remember off the top of my head we talk about in the episode, but so many. He even went tried to go international. It didn't quite take off and I think for reasons like we talked about in the episode, it's just so quintessentially British. I think it just was only going to work there, mm -hmm. really. Um, but I kept thinking of what really struck me about Billy Butlin doing this was the advent of the vacation came around this time in the 1950s when people have a little more disposable income, when different laws are passed regarding vacation time, where all of a sudden it's mandatory that people get paid time off. And because of that, he saw this opening and said, well, people have paid time off, but they don't have anywhere to go. And he essentially created his own little world 
right there within Britain. Mm -hmm. You know, there's only, I think, three Butlins in operation Hmm. today. And a lot of that is because Brits now, especially, you know, so many go to Spain. Sure, um, of course. Rather notoriously in certain areas. (laughs) Uh, but the at that time, that was the pinnacle. And people who made were working class, making working class wages, were able to have a nice week-long family vacation. Uh, I think their their motto at that time was a week's vacation for a week's wages or something like hmm. that. So, yeah, and some great retro pictures of fashion and food. And I still encourage anybody to download the Buttons app and you can see the menus in the cafes and the way it exists today in the modern world. That's If I had one takeaway, it was just how many offerings there are all day long. There really is something for everyone. Oh, I mean, the it's itinerary. Constant. Like every yes. hour, there, half hour. Oh, every 15 minutes. Yeah. So I mean, if there's, there's not something you want in this quarter of an hour, you know, yeah. Yes. You know, aqua aerobics or, you know, painting or, I mean, just anything. From early in paint. the morning until late at night. If you're this bored at Butlins, staff, you know, it's on you. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. No yes. kidding. Yes. Oh, shoot. All right. What's next, Mares? I have, oh, I was looking at the awards we gave last year and mm-hmm. thinking like, would I, what, what would I like to revisit? And one was, um, we had an award last year called the We Wish We Knew More About You Award. Mm-hmm. And I knew who I wanted to give that one to. And it would have to be Elgava. Elgava, ah. who we met uh, in our 1066 Norman Conquest episode. Um, that was, a, as I said earlier, our most distant excursion of the time machine to 1066, the Battle of Hastings. And uh, this this work, this graphic novel that we talked about is 70 meters long. It's enormous. And out of the 626 humans on that uh, not tapestry, that embroidery, only three were female. One right. is clearly a, a recognizable queen. One is a woman fleeing a burning building. And one just has the name Elgafa above it. Um, and there's no context for her. There's no identification of her other than a name. And you would think, well, with that name, maybe you could find it. And we found three different theories. Um, but the words that go along with her name were here a certain cleric and elgafa and it stops they didn't finish the sentence like oh, who is this certain cleric and why is, i know and it just like uh, you know um so in this episode we looked at some of those research-based theories and uncovered some pretty fascinating social conventions along the way i'd say she really piqued my curiosity and so i'd like to know more about her i want to know more about her elgafa yes it's one of those that if i could travel in time that would be one of those questions i would love to find the answer to it was really fun just kind of drawing back the curtain of the researchers too just watching people Mm. who here you know (laughs) nearly a millennium later are coming up with absolutely research-based well it's it would be this person because there was this cleric and i mean there were three major theories that we looked at and they all you know have have uh cred you know sure uh so yeah and maybe none of them are right right that's the other thing <laughs> could maybe be the, the embroiderer's mother who knows? that's what i was thinking yes <laughs> the neighbor who they admired their flowers in their garden yes. who knows 
Fascinating. The next award that I'm going to give is the ultimate perseverance award. Mm. And we hinted at this at the top of the episode. This has to go to the London citizenry of 1666. I do want to highlight one particular citizen. Samuel Pepys gets a lot of attention from that particular time and well deserved. Mm -hmm. He was a prolific diarist. Mm -hmm. And it's really because of him that we know the details, not just of the extraordinary days, like the days London burned, but also of everyday life in that time period. Documented Punch and Judy shows. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we we owe him a great deal of gratitude. And he framed it perfectly, right? I think it started on January 1st, Mm -hmm. 1660, and ended at the end of 1669. So it perfectly frames that Absolutely he did. Yes, that was the decade he focused on. And that's great. And I'm not taking away from peeps. But I want to give John Evelyn a a bit of attention here. Because not only did he persevere, but a lot of his efforts at conservation and his environmental work, they're still relevant today, centuries later. Talk about being ahead of his time. No kidding, an urban planner. Yes. And so not only did he persevere, he prospered and really was progressing. Now, he also came from a background that allowed him to do so. Like Peeps, he had some means, you know, where he wasn't living in poverty like so much of 1666 was. But I wanted to give him a highlight. But then just those everyday people who are fighting through plague, who are walking through empty streets to get the bare minimum, who as when there is no plague, they have to walk on the sides of buildings because people are emptying their chamber pots from their upper windows and literal waste is falling on your heads, scrambling for spots where you can walk free of that. The whole experience of living in that time period, the sights, the smells, the horrors, the fact that these people persevered and still found ways to move on to prosper, and to even enjoy life at times is absolutely remarkable to me. So they get the ultimate perseverance award. 300 plus years ago. And and it's great that you're remembering them and still giving them their props. Yes. And we've come to the top one. Here we are at the final award. This is the award we're keeping that we've had each year of our three years. And the name of our our production company is Collective Good Productions, LLC. And our top award every year goes to the Defender of the Common Good. So many worthy past candidates. <laughs> it's tough to decide. Mares, who did you decide? We each chose someone. Who did you give yeah, it Yeah, it, it is difficult because... Fortunately, we meet all kinds of people doing good. And that's kind of the our theory of, of our podcast is that no matter where you are, you'll find someone who there who is there that is just just trying to make things a little bit better. And if trying that can happen in 1666, it can happen anywhere. Right. Yeah. So I chose rather than giving it to an individual, I'm going to give it to Gaze the Word Bookstore. Ah. Uh, we know the importance. You and I have both worked with kids in literature. We know the importance of being seen mm-hmm. in books. You hear about books that 
act as windows that help us to open to others' ideas, but we also know that they are mirrors and that people should mm-hmm. be able to see themselves yes. in books and their own experience. Um, and so um, when we read a book about others like us, we find it helps to shape our identity and it unites us with other people. And that doesn't seem like too much to ask, that we could read books about people like us. And we have the privilege, you and I, of finding lots of books about people like us that we can relate to. But gay people have been challenged to find books about people like them. And in places around the world today, some people still don't have that mm-hmm. advantage. So, And gay- in other places, people are trying to take away the yes. ability to have those books. Yes. Right here in the United States. And I know they're running into similar issues in Britain. Yes. So since opening in 1979, Gaze the Word, it's up on Marchmont Street in Bloomsbury, has confronted, I mean, I we outlined it in the episode, there were oppressive laws, there were rocks thrown through their window, there was the devastation of AIDS, they, you know, they found it in 79, They're right. it's right around the corner, there were raids, lawsuits, obscenity trials, bigotry, and then the same things that other bookstores face, like ebooks and online bookstores. That's a good point. But, and other businesses. Yeah. There was rising rents. Yes. There's competition from mega businesses. Um, and and COVID, of course, yeah. too. Like all those things could have put a business out. But they continuously organized, they interrupted, they drummed up support of Allies and formed allies, as we learned from some pretty surprising groups, too, like the miners. Yes. And still... That uh, was fascinating. It really was. That union between the miners and, yeah, the LGBTQ plus population. You know, when you're oppressed people, you know, or or struggling people. Um, And there it is on Marchmont Street, still a beacon to people who come there from around, not only around around the city and around the nation, but internationally. People visit London. Mm -hmm. And go to gaze the word to find uh, a bit of a home. So if you are uh, in London and looking for a good book to read, oh, and, and no matter where you are in the world, you can even follow Gaze the Word on uh, the socials. Uh, just recently, near the end of the year, they've been releasing posts of all the staff favorites of the books this year. So nice. you might find some good books to read. So that's my nominee for the Collective Good Award. How about yours? Well, there was one person that really stood out to me this year, and that was Lee Miller. Um, An incomparable life, revisiting Lee Miller, made me, researching that episode, made me realize the extent to which she really made an impact on this world, and an impact that I think is really under-recognized, like I mentioned earlier. Not only that, she overcame a lot. She was a victim of childhood sexual abuse. Um, She ended up with a lifelong disease that had horrible treatments along with it that lasted her entire life. She had an exploitive at best relationship with her father. And... She had, life didn't come easy for Lee in a lot of those ways. Similar to a lot of the people we've highlighted, her place, where she was born in Poughkeepsie, New York, 
it wasn't really where she fit in and she spent her whole life trying to leave it behind. Like many of us, she still feels drawn back to that place. She can never quite leave it. And she was a woman of London, but she was also a woman of the world. She spent a lot of time in Paris, a lot of time in New York City, and obviously our London, which is where she spent uh, the better part of her adult life. But as I mentioned before, Lee started out as a model, but she also dabbled in acting. She was a beautiful photographer. Uh, she dabbled in surrealism. And I dabbled isn't really accurate. She really was deeply into that movement. And some of the men around her have likely taken credit for some of the work that was actually hers. I really thought of her as a muse more than a, a like a collaborator or a, you know, a peer. Yeah, she, well, she, I think she was a peer. I mean, she and herself, she created a lot of beautiful photography, but she absolutely 100% was a muse to many, many artists. Mm-hmm. Um, not just Man Ray, but the likes of Pablo Picasso. Mm-hmm. But then the war comes and she goes ahead and decides to put her photography skills to use, but she takes it a step further, becomes a war correspondent. And this is where I think she's really underestimated. She exposed the use of chemical warfare by the United States military, both in words and photographs, and uses Vogue as her medium, British Vogue, <laughs> yeah. to get that through. And Audrey Withers, who agrees, yes, this needs to be published. We're going to do this. We're going to expose this. Her bravery. She's in Hitler's apartment hours before he commits suicide, after he's vacated, when he realizes it's over. Uh, he There's pictures of her, and in the show notes, you'll see a thumbnail of her in his lounge area or little sitting area. It's just like walking in, almost like an abandoned building, right? Like yes. Helps yourself. and kind of- But it has that view of somebody that's abandoned it quickly. Yes, yes, like just stepped out. There's right? things, yes. It's It doesn't have that museum quality. It has that we had to leave. When you look at those photographs of her in that apartment that day, you almost expect there to be like a warm kettle sitting there, you know, on the stove because that's how quickly everything unfolded. It's incredible that there weren't other reporters doing the same but she really got the jump on that like everyone's chasing him down like i'm gonna go to his place and just walk around his apartment and not just walk into the apartment (laughs) the iconic bathtub incredible badass move and she had literally been at the concentration camp as it was liberated and she washes the dirt off in his tub yeah i mean just phenomenal she was haunted by the things she saw during the war and that combined with the childhood trauma she endured she struggled later in life rightly so but even as she's struggling she's trained at le cordon bleu and becomes a gourmet chef who's very <laughs> noted for her amazing hospitality Didn't do and anything cooking. halfway Lee miller nothing halfway And here, because of what she did to expose the horrors, I want to note, too, you know, she exposed the use of chemical warfare. She was also one of the first ones to expose the atrocities in the concentration camps, Mm -hmm. which at that time, people didn't realize 
the extent of what was happening. Yeah, some of her photos can be harrowing, really. Oh, and that reminds me, um, we didn't even talk about this, but 2023, I believe her son is has put out, it's uh, yes. just come out this fall, uh, the big magnum opus of her work, like her, her big book of photography. Yeah, in fact, I think it might, when I wrote the episode, it wasn't quite out yet. It hadn't uh-huh. been released. And I think it might have been this month in December. We'll have to check. I'm on the hold list at our public library, I'll tell you that much. Yes, <laughs> it will be, it will be great. And I mean, for the work that she did during the war alone, and her contributes to the art world, which I think in general, artists are often undervalued. Yeah. She has to be a defender of the wow. common good. Thank you so much. That was great. And um, yeah, super proud of our choices. Like they really are um, examples. They're, you know, beacons for some of us. Absolutely. Um, I feel really good about our choices. So that brings our awards portion to a close, but let's have some fun now. Yeah, a few recommendations sure. for the end of the year. As we've done the last two years, too. Sometimes we just make our own categories of things that just, you know. We, oh, let's start with a little disclaimer. We are Anything that we mention, we are not getting any kind of no. money, any con- compensation for. These are honestly just things that we liked this year. Yes, we um, are not paid influencers no, at all. No, no, no. Some years we've done like this, or our favorite TV show, or our favorite book, or something like that. Um, this year, I came up with four categories, and I noticed that you just saw them, and like you're like, let's do the let's same. Let's do thing. it. Yeah, let's do it. They were inspiring, Mares. So yes, let's let's both uh, go for it, and let's look at that first category, which was. What was a performance you wanted to highlight that you wanted to recommend to our listeners? So I was thinking of different TV shows and and so on. And I thought, you know what, there's actual, in my memory of this past year, there were certain standout performances that really drove me home almost more than the show itself. Like, for example, one would be um, Sarah Lancashire as Julia Child. I can't say enough about that. You Um, do love that. It was incredible. But the award I'd like to give is uh, for a show called Slow Horses. Let me tell you about it. Please. James Bond, he is not. Jackson Lamb, portrayed by Gary Oldman in Slow Horses, heads up Slough House, a sort of spy purgatory uh, for people who have screwed up (laughs) at MI five or six, uh, but have been retained. Now, you said about Guy Burgess you know, may, being kind of uh, icky and, mm-hmm. and and not taking good care of himself and offensive. He had that rep, yes. Oh, I mean, Jackson Lamb is so offensive in every way. He drinks on the job. He doesn't bathe. He... Um, takes pleasure in humiliating his employees, just Are calling sure them out. Are you sure this isn't based on Guy Burgess? Right? <laughs> no. Uh, but in, in Gary Oldman's capable hands, right, um, he still finds plenty about this character to unveil. It would be really easy to make him cartoony. And sometimes it feels cartoony. But we learn the depth of this character. His team may be the embarrassment of the Secret Service, but he will protect them, and he will teach teach them the ways of the spy. He says, 
They're all a bunch of effing losers, but they're my losers. <laughs> Performance that I would tell you to go find slow horses. Called slow horses because it sounds a little bit like slough house, where they Makes all sense. work out of. How about your performance of the year? Well, mine actually stemmed from Mayor's. We you had sent me a text, and it had to do with uh, David Tennant opening Macbeth. <gasps> yes, at the Donmar Warehouse. Yes, yeah. which running right now, in fact. Listeners, if you would like to donate to my funds, <laughs> how much me. would I love to go see that? And while I can't endorse it from a personal point of view because i have not seen it though i know it's going to be fabulous side note the other text you sent of michael sheen watching <laughs> david tennant and macbeth because michael sheen and david tennant is the bromance that 2023 needed yes let's be honest and really this whole decade i right covid I, they made covid so much easier and, what fabulous humans they both are. Yeah. I mean, talk They're about just, international treasures. To be on top of your game and having the time of your life, just still having fun with it, oh. and being playful with it. That's that's quite a quite a statement to be able to make. Yes. There. So as much as I wanted to endorse that performance, I realized that I just looking at Michael Sheen's adoring face approving of it wasn't enough for me yeah. to be able to do that. Sure. But it made me think back to uh, 09, 2009. Okay. Uh, and David Tennant's Hamlet portrayal. Huh. So that's going to be the performance I'm going to oh, recommend yeah. if, if you haven't seen it. Right. It's fabulous. Patrick Stewart. Yes. That was just coming back. Him. Yes. Yes. It is wonderful. You can find it all kinds of places. Uh, I believe Amazon Prime and YouTube are two of the best places. Mm -hmm. uh, he did it right after finishing his first go around. He's had numerous now with Doctor Who, but uh, right after the 10th Doctor oh. wrapped up the original 10th Doctor season, they went pretty much immediately into into that. But it's great. It's It's got some... Uh, it's a little bit more contemporary than some some other versions, but he does Hamlet extremely well. And mm -hmm. it's Hamlet, and it's David sure. Tennant, and it's Patrick Stewart. You know what? Viewing things like this time of year, at least it, for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, it's cold. <laughs> you know, you're looking for entertainment. Mm -hmm. That would be a good thing to pull up. Oh, it's a fabulous thing. So, yes. What's next, Mares? How about a food and drink category? Yeah. So... We've said it before. I just, you know, that disclaimer, I'm not a frequent drinker. Like, I I have a drink when we record. And usually that's about it. It really is true. We sound like, oh, we're having cocktails again. Or, but it's really when we record our episodes. You, right. I agree. <laughs> but because... We're not we, just saying that either. I know. They're like, sure. Yeah, right. Whatever. <laughs> oh, should I talk about... Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but because we talk about cocktails on the show, sometimes people do ask me for cocktail advice in, in the rest of my life. You know, people you say... You do like, get asked a lot. All the time. More than I do. <laughs> so I figure I could pass on the most basic knowledge of all. Um, something that you taught me. Uh, and I, I'd like to feature the Fever Tree <sighs> mixers, the tonics and mixers. Like Fever um, Tree says, if the majority of it drinks tonic, you better make it good tonic. No kidding. And I never thought about that. I mm -hmm. always just bought basically what was ever on sale at the grocery Schlaps. store. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so after buying, you know, 
anything I could find for all those years. Um, I now know that even the most simple drink, a simple gin and tonic or vodka tonic, can be so elevated mm -hmm. with Fever Trees tonics and mixers because I've already tried flavors like elderflower and yuzu lime mm -hmm. and grapefruit, Mediterranean mm -hmm. herb. They're light and sparkling. I do sound like I'm doing an ad. You do. <laughs> but I'm not good being at paid it. anyway. Um, and so anyway, uh, yes, Fever Tree. And they, at least here in the States, I, you know, you can find them at liquor stores, but you can also find them at most grocery stores too, at least a few of the varieties. So how about you, food and drink? Well, I, I'm going to tell you that, but before I do, I'm going to let you have a little secret. Yeah. During my little smuggling adventure from the UK, <laughs> I've brought home some Fever Trees that we haven't had yet. <gasps> Got some rhubarb and raspberry. And, oh, there's a few others, <laughs> oh, too. Oh, my God. So, yes, I discovered there's probably twice the amount of fever tree options in, in Britain than what we have. Not that I'm shocked by that. Right. But uh, some fabulous choices that as I looked around, oh. I was so jealous. So we have some fever tree fun coming our way. That's just reminding me of being in, in London last November with our friend Holly, who wanted so much to buy this ginormous um, advent calendar that was fever tree <gasps> uh, mixers oh, and big. gins like every other day. Oh. And I'm like, Holly... Like, that's as big as your suitcase. She's like, I can leave my shoes here. I can fit it in. I'm like, Holly, we can't. So we have been admiring the, that uh, gin and fever tree habit calendar from afar. But Listeners, if any of you have been lucky enough to get one of those, please report back because we would love, <laughs> oh, I'd love to find hear. out. Yes. Well, my food and drink recommendation is not one particular item. It is a place, and it's the British Corner Shop. They are an online British grocery. Are they U.S. based? Um, they are British brands uh -huh. delivered worldwide. Oh, okay. It actually, the food actually comes from the United Kingdom. Okay. The labels and such. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure they have some sort of distributor, I believe, who's on the east coast of the United States mm -hmm. when I look. Sure. But there's several things, like I really like digestives, yeah. and they have gluten-free digestives. Yeah. So I order my gluten-free digestives there. I got gluten-free Christmas pudding oh, delivered. Nice. Uh, they have a flat shipping rate where you can then fill your box, oh, wow. which is, is nice. I've gotten some lovely jams, mm. um, different Christmas chocolates and, and stocking stuffers. Uh, different sauces for meals, oh, uh, pasta fun. bake, some rices, some curries, all kinds of things. And one thing that I also enjoy is ordering treats from there, for, especially for the children in my life. One thing that in Britain, and I believe in most of Europe, there's a lot stricter laws on things like artificial dyes and the kinds of preservatives that can be used. And, you know, candy is candy. It, it You can only say it's so healthy, but it's nice to be able to buy treats that are free from all of those kind of Good icky point. chemicals. Yeah. So I do like and trust that I can get food from there that's that way. And like you, I'm sounding like a paid advertisement. Again, yeah. I'm not. I'm just a happy customer. Yeah. So the British Corner Shop. Oh, thanks for the tip. Mm -hmm. Check it out. All right. And I think next on our list is activities you'd recommend. Yes. And Maris? Well, we never have had this category. No, this and I new. started to think, like, 
how do people have fun? I mean, it might be a craft that they do or like walking or who knows how people, but this year, um, you know, I mean, I, I like to cook. I love to cook. I love to knit. I love to read and draw and all those sorts of things and journal. Uh, but this year I followed up on an interest that I had for a while. And people look at me a little funny when I said that, when I say that this year I've been learning bookbinding, they think that maybe I'm making the kind of books that you would see on a like on a library shelf, and it's not that at all. Um, I've been making journals, notebooks, sketchbooks out of mostly recycled materials. So they are upcycled books. Um, I've been learning different binding techniques, and I really am getting into all the ways that I can customize it. I can add pockets or fold out pages or hide little surprises inside. And I've been collaging a lot on the covers and inside the books. And it's I'm excited because I feel like this is a a craft or an activity that will will continue for years mm-hmm. because there's, you know, like oh, that'd be cool to marble the end pages or um, to use linoleum cuts to make to make end papers. And um, so anyway, I took a, a class from Bell Mills at Scrap Paper Circus, and that one was on booklets. And I took a class from Allie Manning at Vintage Page Designs, uh, where I learned some, the wonderful art of Coptic binding. Everything I've made, I've gifted, almost everything. Um, So it feels really fun to make something new, to put old materials to new use and give it away too. So that's well, and you're doing a lovely job. She's going to be humble about this, I'm sure, but her books are so lovely. She gifted me a beautiful little journal that I took with me when I was in London this summer that I'm going to treasure forever. It's just gorgeous. And I believe in the show notes in your thumbnail there under this activity, that's your book, correct? It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's been fun and and it feels fun to be uh, in in an infancy of something and so far yet to go. Like mm-hmm. I love like just knowing a little bit and excited about what I where this can go in the future. But how about your activity? Yeah, well, mine is I'm just beginning and it's it's going to be something that I'm going to commit to for the new year and that's I'm going to be learning a new musical instrument. New to me, I, I should did say. I know this. What's going on? Well, I when I was a child, I played piano for about nine or 10 years. Very mediocrely, I would say. I mean, I wasn't terrible, but I wasn't great by any means. I was probably extremely average is what I would would say. Um, But I have several musicians in my life, and uh, one of whom is very close with me and is a talented cellist. And they are going to teach me cello (sighs) this year. And we live in a very vibrant music community and we actually have an adult beginner orchestra in town did you know this so i have decided uh it'll be easier to onboard for that in the fall at the beginning of the fall semester so that'll happen in august or september but before that i need to take some lessons especially because the cello is in bass clef primarily, obviously. And uh, my bass clef is a little rustier than my treble clef, just as far as my music fluency Uh and things like that. And 
the stringed instruments, you know, you've got bowing, you've got the the actual music, you've got the fingering. And I played a little bit of guitar as well when I was younger. Again, super mediocrely. <laughs> uh, but I've decided that this this would be a good thing. It expands your mind. I, I like trying new things. You know, a couple of years ago, I decided that I after being inspired by the uh, Oleg Gorgievsky episodes and hearing him talk on his Desert Island Discs episode about <laughs> the beauty of the Russian language, I had wanted to learn Russian. I've actually stuck with that. I've continued doing Russian nearly every day. Um, and I wanted to add something else that's new because along with the podcast, along with learning Russian, um, I just find that it helps my mind stay limber, I suppose. Yes, yes. And I, when I add these things, it makes me feel more ready for the things I've already undertaken. I just, you know, it must light up certain areas of the brain. So this is going to be my, my new thing. And I put it there to give myself some accountability. And because I've already started to work through some sheet music and learn the basics of cello. Fantastic. So. Oh, that's wonderful news. Thank you. And you've got nice long fingers, too. Like I have enormous be- hands. <laughs> <laughs> I could span about 11 keys on the wow. piano, which wow. my hands look better at piano probably than what I am. But people would always say, oh, do you play piano? But I, yes, I, I have very big hands for a female of average height that way i would say you have nice long fingers that's they're very yeah (laughs) i have to order gloves especially like on amazon like yeah Yeah. because if i just buy men's gloves they're too wide they're Uh you know they don't fit right but on amazon where you can get everything you can actually here's another product endorsement if you have huge hands like i do (laughs) buy extra large women's gloves on amazon well that's super exciting though that everything that's ahead of you yeah. I'll come to your concert. Okay. Uh, well, I'll I'll let you know how it goes, yeah. and I'd love to have you there. I cannot read, sadly, even a note of music. I never took a musical instrument, but I've often thought if I could, like cello would be right up there. It's such a such a full sound. Like, it's very rich, and yes, it, it can be somber. It yes, can set a mood. It's lovely. That's it really great, is great choice. And as just being surrounded by orchestra, by chance, I, I've i really grown to appreciate it and learn a lot about the orchestra. And you and I have several friends in common involved mm-hmm. in orchestra yeah. endeavors and things like that. So, yeah, I, I'm excited for it. We'll see. That's so wonderful. And we've got one more recommendation here. Uh, Maris, what do you recommend for streaming? Streaming. Um, oh, gosh, yes. So during the early days of COVID, you'll remember that many people shared their talents. You know, you could go onto YouTube and see choirs or or learn things from mm-hmm. people and, uh, you know, learn to play guitar or yes. do yoga with people or whatever it would be. And uh, I remember that in those early days of COVID, one night a week, um, my, my husband, my partner, and I would uh, eat dinner in front of the TV because one night a week, the National Theater of London uh, released one of their plays on YouTube for free. Uh, and we saw so many great performances. I remember any number of times where at the end, like standing ovation, we were just, you know, we were all so housebound at the time yes, and we to make the best of it. Uh, but we saw so many great performances. And so just a 
month ago, uh, we signed up for National Theater at Home's streaming service. There's over 70 full-length plays. Oh, wow. The National Theater. I mean, there's classics, there's contemporary works, like, straight out of like Zadie Smith's new new play. Um, some of them have big stars. There's Olivia Coleman, there's Benedict Cumberbatch, oh, there's Olivia uh, Coleman, Helen her. Mirren, yes. Um, and then there's the extras like interviews with the creative teams, uh, views behind the scenes. So if you are a person like us that loves live theater, you might consider watching some of the best live theater there is out there. Like I have a friend, my friend Jennifer and I often would go to National Theater that would be made worldwide, available worldwide in in movie theaters. Mm -hmm. And we would do that. But it's really nice to do it in the comfort of your own home, too. (laughs) Nice. Have you been streaming anything? Well, I'm going to say I'm such a fangirl lately. (laughs) I'm like, because, of course, I'm going to recommend the Doctor Who 60th anniversary specials. I'm sorry. I can't help it. I know I sound like a broken record, but those specials were so good. I had been so excited about them. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil them. Um, But again, and we talked about this in our Doctor Who episode, you could just start watching the specials and onboard there. And then go into the 15th Doctor, which is going to debut on Christmas Day. Um, the specials and the new episodes with the 15th Doctor are all, in the United States. They all stream on Disney+. Plus. Okay. I believe that's also true for pretty much most of the rest of the world mm-hmm. outside of Britain. In Britain, they stream on iPlayer. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much everybody catches the new ones. In the United States, the older episodes pre – well – Now we've got like three eras, essentially, because this is considered a new era, starting over at one. But if you go back to the ninth Doctor through the 13th, those are on HBO Max in the United Mm -hmm. States, I believe, still on iPlayer in Britain. And then uh, Classic Who in the United States streams on BritBox. You could pick up anywhere. You could start with Classic Who if you really wanted to. You could start with the ninth Doctor like I did. You could start with the specials. But these specials... Listeners, if there's anybody who's watched them and you want to talk to me about them, I would love to geek out with you because Seriously, they were she would. They were they were that good. Like I need Maris to catch up because I was sending her these texts like, oh my God, I'm dying. This was so good. But I'm really excited about what's coming in the Hooniverse. And I'm excited about the 15th Doctor Shudigawa. He is going to be absolutely fabulous oh, his great. style his fits that he's wearing are so <laughs> on point like the energy because he did appear in the last special that's really not a spoiler because it was out there that everyone knew was going to happen and he was truly magical so i think there's good things to come so catch that on disney plus or iplayer and then come be a nerd with me and talk about it and give me a doctor who friend <laughs> to to break down these episodes with so yeah right. that's our 2023 mares I have loved traveling through time with you this year. It's been a blast. It's It was a lot of fun. It We're, really was. And a special shout out to DJK for engineering our great sound effects with our time so machine. Great. I loved it. I, I think I had given him something since I'm just a unapologetic fangirl apparently i was like can you make it kind of sound like the tardis yeah but not the tardis because we don't want a copyright issue (laughs) so yeah i i loved that djk thank you you're the best absolutely cheers to djk and yeah next year 
and we'll probably lean on DJK and his expertise. I, I think we're ready for a new theme. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, the time machine has been great. I think we, it might have to go to the garage for a little while. Yeah, I think so. So what's next then? Well, we were going through time. Now I think we need to go through place. Tell me more. Well, we both love the tube. We yeah. enjoy the London Underground. Yeah. And one of the things you and I connected on very early was that we realized that with our shared love of London, one of the things we both love to do the most is to just pick a random spot on the tube uh -huh. to go and get off on that <laughs> spot and wander <laughs> around and see. Yeah. So what we're going to do, and this will be similar to our Time Machine episodes. It won't be every episode, but we're going to get on the tube in certain episodes, and we're going to just see where we get off. We could be at Elephant and Castle. We could be at Blackfriars. We could be at Swiss Cottage. We could be in Acton Town. I don't know where we're going to go. Cockfosters? Is that an option? Cockfosters, wherever you want, Maris. You can spend all year at Cockfosters. <laughs> are you telling me that we are trading in our time machine for an Oyster card? We are. That's uh -oh. what we're doing. So we'll, we'll find out, and we're going to see who and what has been happening at that spot. Who knows when? So who knows what we're going to find? I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I actually designed a wheel that has every single tube stop on it. Oh my it. goodness. And some of them we might go ahead of time and say, I'm going to focus on Cockfosters, for instance. <laughs> or we might just spin and see where we end up. Maybe it'll be Tooting Beck. Maybe it'll be Angel. Made a veil. Made a veil. That's a spot near and dear to me. So, yes, let's get on the underground. Shepherd's Bush. I mean, it just the, the possibilities are oh, endless. It's going to be fun. And the episode isn't necessarily going to be about the tube itself or even about the station. It's going to be, and it, maybe it will. It might incorporate what we, that. What we did, right? But Which is to unearth and explore. Just see what, get off the train, get off the platform, come above ground and see <laughs> what's there. So, I'm in. Listeners, I hope you're in. I hope you'll come and join us on our trip next year. As always, we're so grateful for you. Uh, without you, we don't have a show. We hope that you have the best of holidays, whatever it is you celebrate, that 2023 was kind to you, and that 2024 will be even better. You know, we do have listeners in 97 countries yes. now. Um, so, hey, out there, everybody. And, you know, if you know anybody in <laughs> Croatia, Cuba, mm -hmm. Liechtenstein, there's a few countries we haven't hit yet. So please uh, send them our way. Yes. And if you get a chance, leave a review um, on Apple Podcasts. You know, if there is one Boxing Day gift that we would like as your humble servants here in the studio, uh, a rating or a review on Apple can help us find the people that might enjoy this and uh, enlarge our community. Yes. And in addition to you, dear listeners, we'd also love to thank our loved ones who allow us the time and space to grow and nurture this podcast. You can also find us and connect on all of our socials. We have a blog. You can find us that'll be linked at our website to our blog that I need to update. <laughs> yeah, you, 
<laughs> you can email us at yesterday's London Times at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Yesterday's London Times Podcast. And that goes for threads as well. And we're on TikTok at YLT Pod. I'll also throw Twitter slash X out there because that is where I have been a little more on it lately. It's at YLT underscore pod. But to be honest, we don't use it as much as the others. And we'll have, oh, links to all of those socials on our show notes and also links to every single episode you heard about. So if you want to get straight to one of those episodes, just go to our show notes and it'll take you right there. Cheers. Thank you so much, Jen. It's been a great year. It has been. Thank you. Happy Boxing Day. Happy Boxing Day, everybody. Thanks for listening and thinking along with us. We hope you enjoyed this segment of our journey. Our music is from the album Astral Gate, used with permission of the artists Lucas Perny and Miroslav Kolar. Audio mixing by DJ Kensington. Kensington.